we have uh, Chuck Beckler here today, guys. This guy needs no introduction. You guys, we know Chuck. Welcome, Chuck. Uh, Chuck is here to wrap up our campaign called The Irresistible Gospel, and he's going to be talking about truth. So let me pray for this guy before yeah, you start. Thanks, Pastor John. All right. Father, Lord, we just, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. And Lord, we want to worship you now uh, as we open your word and, and listen and hear the truth of your word declared and proclaimed. So Jesus, would you just move in our hearts and soften our hearts, Lord, to hear the word and Lord, to be changed more into the image of Christ as we do. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. Don't you love this guy? I love this guy. Yeah, that didn't sound very good. I love this guy. Do you love this guy? Yeah. That's good. Well, grace and peace to you from God our Father, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want an amen. I mean a good amen. Like a powerful amen. Oh, there you go. Now, what about this? It's Thanksgiving week. What about a happy Thanksgiving? You know, in some churches, they extend the peace of Christ. You ever been to a church where they do that? They get up and they extend the peace of Christ? Anybody? Raise your hand. You ever done that? Yeah? They do that in a lot of different denominational settings. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning because I noticed as Pastor John was giving you the announcements and the agenda for a while, you seemed a little bit dead, a little bit flat. Do you feel that way? So let's stand up, if you would, please, on the count of three. One, two, three, stand up. I know I'm making you stand up, but we don't do that a whole lot up and down. And then on the count of three, I want you to do this. I want you to turn to somebody or go to somebody and just say, have a great Thanksgiving. One, two, three, go do that. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Don't you love that? Yeah, I do. Now on the count of three, I want you to shout out to me and my wife, Linda, who's sitting in the back. Happy Thanksgiving, Chuck and Linda. Happy Thanksgiving, Chuck and Linda. Gobble, gobble, you all have a seat now, yeah. It is good to be together in the house of the Lord, to worship Him together. I feel it a privilege every time I'm here. I feel it a privilege to hang with your pastor and just blessed. We are blessed to be here. So, as Paul Simon said in the song, when I was a little boy, anybody know that song? Probably not. Who's Paul Simon? When I was a little boy with church, our church, my dad was a pastor, so we have, John and I have a lot in common. My dad was a pastor, and we had Sunday night sings. And at those sings, there were all kinds of songs that were played. There was a lady that played an accordion, and I really loved that accordion for some reason. I don't know why. I never played the accordion, but I love the sound. And there were a lot of songs that we sang, a lot of what you'd call choruses or worship tunes like we do today. But there was one that stood out to me that I remembered, and I remembered it all through my life, and I know the words. It was a hymn. Can you say the word hymn? Yeah, most of us, we don't sing hymns anymore. It's all worship choruses. It's worship music. To sing a hymn is old school. It doesn't fit. doesn't connect. It's not relevant. It's not even irresistible like the gospel is. But I loved this hymn. Now, I'm going to quote it to you. The old hymn writer, I think, had the flow and the thought of the irresistible gospel just put together lovely, beautifully. Goes like this. If I mess up, you help me, all right? I love to tell the story of unseen things 
above of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings like nothing else can do. I love to tell the story, it will be my theme and glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Isn't that a great hymn? That's a hymn. Why don't we sing more hymns? Or there are some good doctrines in, you know, in, in those hymns. And then another one, another old dead guy hymn writer, who's with Christ, I'm sure, celebrating this morning, wrote this one, which is another one that talks about the irresistible gospel. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, me, a ruined sinner, to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing my sin, my scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He kept the law, because I couldn't. The Lamb of God had made atonement, offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, because I couldn't, so I could be redeemed and stand holy before God. Rose from the grave, the line of Judah, the warrior Aslan, so I could go to heaven someday, declared not guilty. The gospel is incredibly irresistible. I studied that word this week, irresistible. Interesting word. It means you can't help yourself. you got to have what it is. And then I read your pastor's devotional, and it said, but there are those who resist the gospel. That's a whole other theological, mysterious issue. But for those of us who are Christians, the gospel story, I love to tell it, should be irresistible. Got to have it, want it, need it, think about it, love it. Want to just, you know, bathe in the gospel story mentally, emotionally, day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, week by week, just revel in this incredible loving, powerful, life-transforming story. Is that enough? We could worship right now. Celebrate the deep mystery of the gospel. Euangelion is the word. Story. The most beautiful, true, logical, powerful story ever told about the most heroic, courageous, compassionate man that ever lived, the God-man Jesus Christ. Yeshua Christus. Jesus. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They're weak. He's strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. He loves me. The Bible tells me so. Irresistible. Gotta have it. Need it. Want it. Satisfies my longings going to speak about it all through eternity with the saints in glory? How about a round of applause for the gospel this morning? Now, there is a guy named the Apostle Paul. You know that name? We love that. We love that man, and yet we read his letters, and uh, they can bother us. 
except he's just like us. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, I'm a saint. I'm declared not guilty, but I can be so wretched and so full of myself, but it's this irresistible gospel that brings sanity to my life, hope to my life, freedom in my life, gives me peace in my life. And so turn your Bibles to Romans 1. I want you to see what Paul says about this gospel story that impacted his life, transformed his life, gave him hope, peace, and power to live, and be a storyteller about how irresistibly beautiful it is. It is a great, the best story ever told. So Romans chapter 1, Paul writes, I'm going to read 17 verses. So just read through it with me. Ask the Spirit of God to help you to get it. We're not going to walk through it exegetically, expositionally. I just want you to see his heart and love for the irresistible gospel and how he responds to it. And then maybe, well, we should think about it, how we should respond to it. I know this has been your campaign, and I was kind of asked to put an exclamation point on it, so I've been praying, oh God, help me not to mess it up and dishonor what your pastor's been teaching you, but help us to just, just look at it again. So Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was delivered to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You see his emotion? It's a great story. It's irresistible. Called, servant. He loves this story. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel because it's irresistible. I was a killer and it rescued me. I was a murderer and it rescued me. I was a Pharisee and an arrogant individual who was autonomous. But now I'm in Christ and the story's changed my life. He says of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Well, what do you think he wanted to do? I want to get there to Rome, and I want to talk to you about the irresistible gospel. I want you to talk to me about the irresistible gospel. Let's talk about the gospel. This story, we don't talk about it enough as Christians. In our homes, at our tables, at our jobs, we don't talk about it to ourselves. We talk to ourselves about all kinds of things. We should fill our minds with conversation about this story because it'll strengthen you, give you peace. You enjoy the freedom, the joy. Talk to yourself. Admire, talk to yourself. In Walmart, talk to yourself. The car dealership, be a babbler in your mind of the gospel story. 
It will help you to live in this world, which is just a miserable, mysterious, providential, which sounds oxymoronic, train wreck. He goes on and says, I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks, the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. For... Join with me and say for, will you? For, I want you to come out and say it now. For, I love congregational liturgical participation. A little liturgy never hurt anybody. For I am not ashamed. Can you say that? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. How about that? Of the gospel, for it is the power, dunamis transforms lives. It's the power of God for salvation, rescue to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, it's all of faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Man, what a story. On the road to Damascus, I got papers. I'm coming to kill you. I'm coming to drag you out of your homes. And he's knocked off his little horse on his rear end. And the gospel changes his life. He can't resist it because the grace of God has grabbed him, shaken him. Lord, Lord. No, he writes these beautiful letters. It's unbelievable. How about you in your life? Is it irresistible? You got to have it, got to want it, got to have it, got to talk about it today. I mean, you know, I don't want to reprimand or rebuke you guys, but all of us are trapped in this world in a sense. We got to watch the game today, got to do this today, got to, got to, got to. Linda and I talk about it all the time. The got to, got to, got to, they're going to kill you, kill you, kill you. But the got to for the gospel is going to free you. Give you joy. Have a God a day about the gospel. You know? You're like, well, I go to church. Isn't that it? No. A lot of people go to church. So in this story, there is incredible theological, doctrinal, mysterious, providential truth that we mess with. And so I've got a big idea. I've got a propositional statement for you that I would love for you just to wrestle with. It's not going to be up on the screens. But maybe you can just think through, those of you who can type really fast or put it in your phones or whatever you want to do, write it down. It's up to you. Or maybe the Spirit of God will just stick it in your head. Uh, I wrestle with this. It's something I want us to think through as you make a transition from, okay, here's this story. It's irresistible. In it is truth. How should we respond to this truth? Now listen carefully. Biblical truth, foundational to all human life, especially the Christian life, must never be compromised. Biblical truth, foundational to all human life, especially the Christian life, 
must never be compromised. Is that good enough? You're going, you're yelling at us. No, I'm not. I want to keep you awake. I could sing it operatic style, but I won't do it. It must never be compromised, ever. Now, some of us are, you know, we're all sitting here going, well, I never compromise. I never, I, I never do that. Uh, well, we're going to think about that this morning. Because it must never be compromised. Here we go to finish this big idea, propositional statement. Because of our feelings. Think about it. Don't I have the right to feel this way or that way about the gospel or the biblical truths that are foundational, the Christian life? Can I feel my way through it? No, you can't. You're wrong about your feelings. Must never be compromised because of friends. Well, my friends say, these friends, those friends, you know, they're very, very smart. They say this or that. No. The ultimate friend, Jehovah, says no. It can never be compromised because of family. Well, I don't want to offend my family. I want to, I want to, I want to fit in. Oh, well, it can never be compromised because of foes, factions, political parties, Democrat, Republican, whatever, fools, and the fools will always, the pundits will always try to get you to compromise, always. Or the fiendish, fickled culture. I was really proud of myself for that. <laughs> Can you say that together with me? I should never compromise because of the fiendish, fickled culture. Come on now, do better, class. I should never compromise because of the fiendish, fickled culture. I could have stuck some more in there, but I chose not to. <laughs> Because it would not be right. <laughs> Leslie's over there going, ah, she remembers me from Faith Christian. So the question is then, biblical truths foundational to all Christian life uh, and all human life, especially the Christian life, must never be compromised because of all of those feelings, family, friends, blah, 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 and the fiendish, fickle culture. The question is, and I, I talked to Linda about this to make sure logically I was getting the flow, is why? Why shouldn't I compromise? Why don't I have the right to compromise? Well, think about this. In a general sense, because it is, for you and me, extremely dangerous. I mean, dangerous to the point of eternal judgment. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. Now, just in a very summary way, okay? The writer of Revelation, John Rice, says, he says, I warn everyone. And some people say, well, this just has to do with eschatology and all this apocalyptic stuff. It really has to do with this and the whole 66 books, all right, the Word of God. It's inspired. You don't have a right. I don't have a right to mess with it. That's what scares me to death when I teach because I mess with it and I don't want to mess with it, but I mess with it and, you know, and I hate that about myself. I warn you, everyone, Chuck Beckler, who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. That's the whole 66 books. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So it is dangerous to mess with theonustos, the biblical truths foundational to the irresistible gospel. You don't mess with it. So you better, and that's why, you know, I'm telling you, I didn't sleep well last night. Because, and John and I talked about it, your pastor, because I, I don't want to mess with this. I love the grace of God, the favor of God, the mercy of God, but I respect his holiness and his justice and who he is. I don't want to mess with it and mess with you and get you in trouble and dishonor God and so it's dangerous. That's the first reason. So tread carefully on the Word of God. Now, let me give you a couple, you, just a few thoughts about if you mess with this, why it's dangerous, what could be the problem in your life? We already talked about the big one. But in very specific ways, you miss God's blessing in your life when you mess with the Word of God. You miss it. You miss His blessings. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a parent that tells their children, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this. And they mess with you, and then you're like, no, I'm not going to give you this because you mess with me. I mean, as Christians, we should go, I want the blessing of God. I want the joy of God. I, I want my father to smile at me. Abba, Father. We call him Abba, Father. I want to please him, but we mess with him. And then we expect him to give us a blessing anyway. It's not right. It's not good. It's dangerous. We grieve the Holy Spirit to bring tears to the Spirit of God's eyes. We're a poor witness, a weak witness of the gospel. Once you begin to compromise, you begin to be a babbler. You're not sure what to say. You're here, you're there, you're back and forth. You have no confidence and power in this story to talk about. We already read it. Your eternal destination is questioned, possibly. It's an issue. I do believe it's dangerous. The person that compromises is on a slopey, slidey slope, and it leads to problems. And then listen to this, the last why about this dangerous. Once you begin the danger here, once you begin to compromise, I think you'll agree with me, it gets easier. True or false? In any area. When I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, I had a buddy of mine one day in Logan Square in Chicago said, hey, let's go to the grocery store and steal a candy bar. I'm like, steal? I was like, you know, six years old, you, you go to hell for that. I steal a candy bar, you know, right in the grocery store. I'm going to hell right there. He's like, no, you won't. You get to eat it. A chunky candy bar. And I'm like, no, I may eat it, but I'll burn forever. I'll burn forever while I eat it. He's like, it'd melt first, stupid. So... He talked me, and I mean, the law of God says, no, 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 no. My friend, feelings, friends, compromise, dangerous. My, it's a slope. My friend said, come on, Chucky, let's go. So I did. And I'll never forget, you know, I went in and stole a candy bar, stuck it in my pocket. We ran down the street and climbed a telephone pole and sat on a roof and ate our candy bars. He said, so you didn't go to hell, did you? 
I said, no. I wonder if we steal another one, we'll go to hell. He goes, never. That progression in my life continued. I can't go into all the details. My wife in the back will go, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, by the time, though, I was in my late teens, even maybe 20 years old, I was not saved. Because I had compromised, 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 and it becomes easier, one night a group of us as friends said, hey, let's break into some garages and steal some items out of cars. I didn't even think twice. We did it. And then all of a sudden down the alley in Chicago, there was a noise, there was a sound, there was a car, there were policemen, we scattered, we ran, I ran for my life, and as I turned a corner, not looking back, I ran, ran with everything I could run, I heard these words, if you don't stop, I will shoot. I kept running. And I dove over a fence. And my heart pounded so loud for, loud for three or four hours, I thought it was going to pound out of my chest. Do you get it? I started over here because a friend said, oh, come on. I ended up over here with a police officer saying, you don't stop, I'm going to shoot you. And some of my friends who went to jail that night said, that guy wanted you so bad because he, he said, you ran, you didn't stop. He said, you could have been shot. It's amazing to me. And God rescued me. Do you get it? Get it? So, this truth, foundational, we can't compromise it. And once you start to compromise, it gets easier. Once you compromise, you know, I mean, okay, yeah, so here we go. So, there are doctrines like eschatology. We've talked about that together. You know, you want to be a premillennial dispensational, pre-tribulational, that's eh, fine, go for it. You want to be a post-millennial person, go for it. You want to be amillennial, pan-millennial, go for it, go for it. You want to argue about all that stuff, go for it. You want to put a chair on your roof and say, he's coming today and I'm going from the chair, go for it. You want to argue about that stuff, go for it. Because he's coming. If you're on the chair, that's great, you're going with the chair. But what are, number two, what are those biblical truths that you could never, never mess with, never mess with, that are a part of the irresistible gospel that transform you? What, what are the, which, which is happening today? We're compromising, sliding down that slope. It's dangerous. And those who claim to be solid biblical Christians are compromising. So what are those, and I've just got... I've just got two. Now, there may be more, and you can think about this, hopefully, but I've got two. The first one is the doctrine of soteriology, otherwise known as the doctrine of salvation. How is a person declared not guilty before God? There's only one way. And, there, and most people would say, I know, and it's through Jesus. But the Mormons will say that. Jehovah's Witnesses will say that. The Roman Catholics will say that. The Muslims will not say that. You get all kinds of groups that will say that. But the question is, what is that doctrine to them biblically and personally? How do they really understand that doctrine from here? Our grandson, Travis, who's at Auburn, he's, uh, he's turning, he just turned 20. 
for his birthday, he's, he's a funny dude, man. He wanted to go to an escape room. Anybody ever been to an escape room? Do you like them? Linda's claustrophobic. She goes, we better get out of here. She does this only because of her grandson. And I love it. I just, I tell Travis all the time, I'm hoping we can't get out because your grandmother's going to lose it in here, man. I mean, we're going to see her laying on the floor, drooling and pounding, going, help me! And I'm like, oh, that'd be great. I know I'm a bad husband, right? I'm bad. So are you. I can see why you smile there, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you know the deal. There's clues, right? All kinds of clues. You got to go one after the other. But there's only one way to get out of that room and get free. One way, one way, one way, one way. And that's to get the final clue that unlocks the door. And when you get that clue and unlock the door, it just pops and there's freedom. You're like, yeah, we're out. We got out, this, got out of this one with 14 seconds left. <laughs> it was awesome. Travis and I looked at each other and said, oh, man, we just made it. We could have had Ma having a panic attack back there. <laughs> Did you get it? Look at John 14. I think Pastor John and I talked about this. There is so much confusion over, over the words of Christ. It is problem. John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 6. Now, I'm not going to read all of them. I'm actually just going to read verse 8. 6, where Jesus said, John 14, verse 6. Now, here's the deal. We're so familiar with this that it's like, okay, I got it. We need to think through it again. In verse 6, Jesus said to him, you know, he's talking to Thomas. He's going, yeah, I'm not sure, right? He's, we know the story. Jesus said to him, I am. It is a emphatic pronoun in the Greek, exclusive exclusivity, timidity, it's like, it's me and me alone. And we'd all say, yeah, everybody thinks that, right? Maybe. Jesus said to him, I am the way. The word there, onos, in the, in the, in the Greek way is one road, one way. You got to travel this way. You got to get the clues to that, that. That's the only way you get freedom. I am the way, the truth, aletheia which means the only truth, the only true, true truth. That's it. There's nothing else. I am the way, I'm the truth, the life. Zoe, the real life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. Now, I'm telling you, you're going to go, well, Chuck, that's pretty generic. Uh, that's pretty uh, reasonable. Doesn't everybody think that? Well, in a generic sense, yeah. But to repent and believe in the irresistible gospel, the story of Christ, there's a difference there. I was speaking to a youth conference, Lynn and I were in Utah, Salt Lake City a few years ago. We went there with about 500 high school students to evangelize Mormons. How do you like that? 500 to evangelize Mormons. So we're there. And the first day or second day we were there, uh, the guys who were running the conference, I was just speaking at it. They invited the young Mormon elders to speak to 500 high school kids. That was a big mistake, don't you think? And why would you think? You know, why? These guys were good. The first thing they said was, hey, students, I don't know why. There's a problem with us as Mormons. We all believe the same thing. Listen to our name. The church of 
Jesus Christ, did you hear that, students? Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. We believe Jesus is the truth, the way, the life. Do you think that created chaos in that group? 500 kids, man, it went up for grabs. These kids were going to their youth pastors going, why are we here? Why are we trying to evangelize these people who believe the same thing we believe? Do they really believe the same thing? No, they don't believe the same thing about Jesus, but they take the truth and they twist the truth and they compromise the truth to the point where they believe the truth. And we've got Christians today who go, well, the Mormons are okay. The Roman Catholics are okay. Jehovah's Witnesses are okay. This group is okay. That group is okay. And they are not okay. Do you not believe in the irresistible gospel? Not the gospel Paul writes about. Not the gospel Christ preached his story. And so there's this, you've heard the word ecumenical, everybody's okay as long as you believe in Jesus. You can't compromise that doctrine. And that's why you and I've got to investigate it daily. What biblical truth also is the doctrine of sanctification. John 17, if you look at it just a couple pages away in your Bible, John 17, 17, sanctification comes this way. He told his disciples this, John 17, 17, he says in his high priestly prayer, so you got the doctrine of salvation, can't mess with it, doctrine of sanctification, cannot mess with it. How am I set apart unto holiness? How do I walk rightly with God? He tells his disciples in his prayer and to his father, he's praying, sanctify them, my boys, or the people who are to come, the boys who are to come, boys and girls, the, the church, sanctify them in the truth, the definitive article, one truth, my truth, your word is truth. There's no other word. There's nothing else but this. So, so, you know, I write books, and it may not be very good at times. I don't know, but, you know, we, we, we read books. We read books more than we read this, and we wonder why we're not progressing in the Christian life in this irresistible gospel, why it's not really impacting our lives, because we're reading radio pastors and all kinds of celebrities and this guy and that guy, and I love books. I read the Puritans and the old dead guys and Spurgeon, all of them, but the book that sanctifies you and drives you to holiness and love and gives you freedom and hope and joy is this book. How much time are you saturating your life in it? We don't have time to look at it, but the psalmist says in Psalm 119, it is just powerful. Oh, man, I have to read it. How can I not read it? I say it's powerful and I don't read it. David says in Psalm 119, verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. I'm going to keep them to the end. Give me understanding. I need it. I'm a dummy that I may keep your law. Then observe it with my whole heart. Lead me. Teach me. Give me. Lead me. Help me. Help me so I can live a life that honors you. How am I going to be sanctified? One way. Not through a radio pastor. Not through a bunch of other books out there, although I get it, I get it. But this book, the precious, holy word of God. This is where you find the irresistible gospel, the story, and the good theology, the correct theology, and the doctrine that goes with it. Our life is, Pastor John and I were talking about, he likes circles, I like pies. Thanksgiving's coming, what's your favorite pie? In the count of three, shout it out, one, two, three. I love it. I heard apple. Apple pie with, uh, with ice cream. 
Oh, no? Yeah. What about pumpkin pie with piles of whipped cream? Anybody? What about egg custard pie? I love it. What about apple custard pie? I love it. So we love pies. What about chocolate pudding pie? What about cheesecake pie? We love pies. Pies. Think of your life as a pie. And you got all these slices in there. The way to see all these slices sanctified and set apart unto God is to bring them all through the Word of God. So you've got, you've got this pious slice of family. You've got the slice of work, the slice of finances, the slice of relationships and politics and recreation. So, how do you sanctify all those? got to fill your mind with this. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them with truth. Give me, teach me, lead me. Give me, teach me, lead me. How do you raise your kids? This. How do you do your job? This. Sanctify, set apart, set me apart, grow me, make me walk like Christ. This. Not, not the phone, not social media. This. I love this. You ever kiss your Bible? People say, that's like weird. I don't know. It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. It's God's Word. You're going, it's paper. It's in a book. It's Theonoustos. It's the breath of God on paper. So how do we prevent compromise? I gotta wrap this up. What time? I don't even know what time it is. Am I late? I got a minute or something. How do we keep? How do we stop from compromise? What do we do? You say, "Well, you stay in the Word of God." How do we keep ourselves out of trouble? And compromise is horrible. Listen to what, listen to what some authors say about compromise is a sign of weakness, an admission of defection. Strong men don't compromise. All compromise is based on give and take. But there can be no give and take in foundational, fundamental biblical truth. You want to give and take over eschatology? Do it. Have fun. One day you're pre-mill, the next day you're post-mill, then, um, then you're whatever. Do it. There must be no compromise, another author says, when it comes to corruption. You've got to fight it with your entire life. Another author says the devil is... Compromise. Compromise. So, how do we, what do we do to fight this, to control this, to beat this, to live a life that honors God and demonstrates the irresistible gospel? Listen to this. And he called him the crowd together, his disciples, and said to them, he called the crowd together, if anyone would come to me, after me, let him deny self, Take up his cross, follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the irresistible gospel, for my sake, will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the world if he lose his, his whole soul? It's dangerous. So you got the irresistible gospel. You want to prevent compromise, and you want to honor it and live it, enjoy it, enjoy the freedom. I, I wrote this down here. Deny self, lose self, save self. Make sense? Say it with me. Deny self, lose self, 
saves us. Jesus gives us the way to find life that is diametrically opposed to the world. The world says, appease and preserve yourself. True life is only found when we lay our lives down. C.S. Lewis said, die before you die. There is no chance after. That's a great quote. Die before you die. So, John 8 says, abide in my word. We prayed about this this morning, Pastor John and I. The word abide is minnow. Stay fixed. Know you're led into a deeper experience of truth. There's freedom, spiritual freedom from sin and its effects. Don't be autonomous. The irresistible has grabbed you, gospel has grabbed you. Then irresistibly grab it back and live it. We were sailing while we were on a sailing trip, and our captain's name was Tommy Tuck. Tommy Tuck. I was told he was the best captain. We were in some place up in Michigan, and there was like 25 sailboats, a lot of high school kids. I said, why is he the best? He said, because he rescues kids, even in bad weather and storms, all kinds of stuff. But let me tell you a story, this guy said. They were in Lake Superior on another sailing trip, and there was a storm that came up on Superior, and he told all the high school students, get down below, get in, get in the cabin. You're out in the middle of Lake Superior. Storms come up. Big ships are lost. This high school girl looked at him and said, I'm going to resist you. I'm not doing it. You can't make me do it. He said, I'm begging you. Listen to me. Compromise in a good way. Give up your autonomy. Listen to me. She said, I refuse. A wave hit the boat. She was thrown overboard. They never found her body. Let's not compromise. Let's love the gospel. Father, help us. As we worship you now through song for a few minutes, help us to commit ourselves to this irresistible story and sing it. I love to tell it. Help us to learn the biblical truth that's foundational to all human life. Help us not to be swayed by our feelings and friends and compromise. Help us not to do that. Help us to rest in this great truth. Help us to dig through the doctrine of salvation and find the freedom there and doctrine of sanctification in your word and fight it with all of our hearts as we deny, lose, and save our lives. Through your works, Christ. Amen.